0: If a father does not go to church, even if the mother does, there's only a 2% chance that when the kids in the household grow up, that they will attend church when they're one in 50. If the father in the household does not go to church, 2% chance. When they grow up, they grow up to church. If a father does go regularly to church, regardless of what the mother does, there is a 75% chance that when the kids grow up and they're adults, they'll go to church regularly. Offend anybody, or not that your situation wasn't different. We all have different stories. This new stat, 2016. If a father attends church even here regularly, just every once in a while, between two-thirds and 75%. So about 70% of their kids will attend church on regularly every month. If a mother does not go to church and so the mother out, but the father does go to church, still 66% of their kids will end up attending church as adults. Sorry, all That's not true. We'll get to that. In contrast, if a father does not go to church, but the mother does, on average, 66% of their children will not attend church. So these are staggering hopefully the point for this moment is, as I've mentioned these statistics, you've thought about your own journey. Why are you here? Why are you here? In terms of being a Christian or maybe specifically a Methodist Christian. the Christian mean here in this church, this space at St. Thomas. I'd be willing to bet that for most of us in here, regardless of what your household looked like, regardless of whether it was your father or mother that pushed you along the way. Maybe it was even your grandparents, or a neighbor, or a Sunday school teacher, or somebody else altogether, a scoutmaster. Would be willing to bet that most of us in here, somewhere along the line, it was an adult that encouraged us in our faith, or at least encouraged us to attend Sunday school school. That's what matters. Is that somewhere along the way, somebody from a previous generation helped lead you to the place where you are right now. Amen? Amen. Statistics, our own personal narratives, the biblical stories, all are in agreement that this faith journey, our discipleship, the longing, growing, and sharing in Christ, is an intergenerational endeavor. We don't go it alone, number one. And not one particular age group has a monopoly on any particular area of faith. We need each other. Adults can learn from kids, kids can learn from adults, and everything in between. Amen? So important. So important. This story that we have here from Luke chapter 19, again, if you Here today, you went to Sunday school as a child, or Bible school. I'm sure you've heard the Zapita story before. It seems to be, Lynn, right? It's in every children's curriculum that you can ever order. You know you're going to have a Zapita story. Some of you may even remember the song. You may remember the kids' song? Go ahead, Jupiter Liz, get a start. Much about this kid's story. And the reason it's included in Sunday School of Bibles it's a fun story. Especially uh, we have children's Bibles, and I was reading this week to a couple of our kids, and the pictures, the kid's Bible, it's short, and, and the crowd grumbles and they're making faces at him, so it's just a fun story. But it's how it's a powerful story on many, many, many levels, and there's so many things that we can preach about. Speak about or talk to one another about. Uh, just starting, the starting point is that Jesus was coming to town, uh, or that you could preach about Zacchaeus uh, being a sinner. The, the scripture calls him a sinner, and that he was seeking to find out more about whoever this Jesus guy was. We could preach about that. We could preach about how, when he went up into the tree, Jesus already knew his name, and seemed to know about him. That's a very powerful thing that we. We can talk about when you see that Zacchaeus is called down from the tree, and, and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today, how the crowd grumbles Because most of us can relate to that as well. In terms of fair, that's not fair. i not holier than Zacchaeus. Why does Jesus go to his house? So we can relate to that, and we can preach about that. We can preach about Zacchaeus in terms of his repentance. And he says, look, Lord, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. So he not only says with his now, but he goes on to act it out uh, in terms of uh, changing his life. Zacchaeus was hated by the crowds. Zacchaeus worked for the Romans. Zacchaeus would rip his friends off. He would go to Lincoln and Carol's house and say, hey, you owe $50 tax. Uh, and He would take that $50 and he'd give the Romans what they were owed, 20 and he'd keep 30 for himself. But then he would go over to the bosses and say, hey, you owe $50 in tax, and he'd only keep uh, maybe or he'd say, well, you all 60, and you'd keep the, uh, do the math, or whatever, a higher portion for them, 10 dollars more. So he treated people that way. So we can preach about that. But what works for us today what jumps out of the page for us today as we're looking at uh, discovering who we are as Christians, who we are here uh, in the parish, who we are here at St. John's, who we are as a family of Christ, here's the verse that speaks to us today after all this happened, all this interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, as the crowd looked on, this key verse, Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to your household. Today, salvation has come to your, this household. And so what has happened here is through the repentance of Zacchaeus, not only was his life transformed, and changed. Not only will the community be a better place because it's paying up back going forward, he's not going to act that way anymore. But what has happened is his whole household has been invited into a relationship with God through Jesus the Christ because of his actions. That's the powerful peace. His choice in his household to follow Jesus has a ripple effect, just like those statistics stated at the beginning of the service. It's affected his whole household for the generation to come and the generations that will follow it's the power of the power of the story but it's not leave out the women it's not just the of the Bible that speak to us in this way there's almost an identical story except, uh, except she's not a sinner like laid out as as Zacchaeus was I mean she's a sinner like we all are sinners but she's not being called out for being disloyal and dishonest to the community like Zacchaeus was her name was Lydia Lydia comes up in Acts chapter 16 where we named our daughter this Lydia. Lydia um, was a business person, a very successful business selling what? She sold herbal fall, biblical scholars back then. Uh, so yes, she sold herbal flaw. And uh, she was out doing her thing one day and the apostle Paul and his, his guys were coming along doing some teaching and preaching and she responded to that. And she committed her life to Christ and was baptized. And then the Scripture says almost the identical thing as we learn about Zacchaeus and his household. She, it says everyone in her household was baptized. And so because of the actions of Lydia, because of her repentance, her claiming Jesus for herself, her baptism, the fact that it did not just transform her life, her heart, but her whole household. Her whole household turn to Jesus because of her actions. Households are critical uh, to the family of Christ and our discipleship journey. And granted, households, especially modern households, all look very differently from house to house. Some of our households in our parish are households of one. Some are households like the parsonage of I don't even know how many know how people we have in that house. And then we have everything in between. So this, so when we're talking about households, we're not just talking about you having kids in the household or anything like that. All inclusive in terms of household. It looks in many ways different shapes of importance. The importance is that somebody in that household claims Jesus for themselves. Because then it has an end. Another survey found this is kind of some cool numbers here as well. If a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, first person in that household to claim Jesus as a kid, then the probability that everyone else in the household will follow is only 3.5%. So, not as big as a ripple. That sounds like bad news at first. First of all, remember, you know, just impact one person. That's worth doing. This is three out of a hundred, three and a half out of a hundred. Still worth doing. But the real story here is that this young person that's claimed Jesus, even though might not see the powerful impact in terms of numbers in their household, she is breaking the cycle. She's gonna grow up <laughs> to be the adult at some point in um, time. Her household is going to to follow her lead. That's why, if a father is the first in a household to claim Jesus, ninety-three percent of the household will follow. Pretty powerful number. It's important to reach out to adults that don't know Jesus. The interesting thing now—this is an aside. This is not really what we're talking about today directly, but it is an important aside. That is. There are so many people out there now that don't know Christ at all. So it's not just that they're missing church. That's cool. We want everybody to come the church. But they don't know. They don't have a relationship with Christ. Adults, kids, teens, everything in between. And so we need to be out there and reaching and telling our own stories. They might want to know more about Jesus as well. That's it. That's the point. We have opportunities. We have generational responsibility to teach others about faith. It's an impact that's made not just on that person that accepts Jesus, but others around them. That's the point as well. This obligation and responsibility to teach others about Christ, and especially the next generation, is from the very beginning pages of our Bible. And the impact is shown from the very beginning. Our Bible talked a little bit last month about the Old Covenant and the Law of Moses, and so as the Law is being delivered, one of the first commandments that comes after the Ten Commandments, one of the first law is you must teach these commands, and laws, to your children. And so we'll have passages all along the way reminding them of that. It'll sound like it does in Deuteronomy, where it says. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. So it's this charge to teach the kids and the grandkids, the next generation, the next generation, about God. And not just the law, but the story of God and the Exodus. And so then what we find in the scriptures as the Old Testament unfolds, when Israel does this, they teach their kids and their grandkids, things go particularly well. Then we'll have passages that'll say it right, black and white. And then we had a generation that did not know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord, they weren't taught the story of Yahweh. So that impact has been there from the very beginning of our ages. So it's not just stories like Matthias and Lydia in the New Testament, but it's been from the very beginning. This generational charge, this responsibility that you and I have to share faith with others, especially those that are coming behind us. It's in our Methodist roots as well. From the very beginning, when the seed of the Methodist movement was being planted. John and Charles Wesley were babies and little kids in their parents' house. It was Susanna Wesley, uh, John's mother, who called calling him not just academically, but the tenants of the faith. His father was a, a pastor that was on the road a lot, sometimes in jail, too. Others would work for another day. Uh, but Susanna ran the parish, and she called the children, and she ran the household very modern woman, Uh, but she taught them from the time that they could could, could hear the tenets of the faith. She included them in prayer, even before they could speak. She would teach them sign language so they could participate in the morning and afternoon prayers and prayers at mealtime. She taught them to read by teaching them the Bible. They had very systematic, very Methodist ways of doing that. Again, whether it's a household of one, ten, anything in between. Whether you're the father or the mother, you single, self-partner. Not single, you're self you right? Whatever your household looks like, somebody has to choose to follow the Lord. And again, it doesn't just impact you, it impacts everyone. It's also not about biology. This is a very important part about we are, and this is us, is that, is that when we're talking about the household of the Lord, the household here, the house of the Lord, you know, these family lines are blended and blurred. we am not talking about biology at all. We all have a responsibility. You don't get off the hook if you don't have kids or grandkids or your grandkids and kids are out and doing great work. We all have a responsibility. and we have kids leading away, like Mackenzie and the, and the and the thing out here, <laughs> uh what's it called A Little Gantry, Little pantry. yes, yes. And so we so again, not just that it's not biology, but it's also not just adults teaching children, it's children teaching adults. That's when we were at our best. It's certainly not about. Jason um, leading us in worship, a young person. He's not waiting for the future. Uh, no, it's intergenerational discipleship now. And certainly he has received gifts and encouragement and nurturing in the faith and his a mutual account from home uh, from his parents, uh, but also from Cindy. Cindy's not related to him, but she had taken him under his wing. And, and not only does Cindy benefit Jason benefits, but we all benefit. And that is a great example of it's not about biology. We're talking talk about responsibilities we have. Cindy has a responsibility. Linky has a responsibility. Aunt Liz has a responsibility. There you know, so many of our youth and kids that run around this building. They call her, and it's not by accident, it's not because she tells them. Because they feel like might not have any kids of her own right now, but she's got a parish of kids, not just St. John's kids, kids in our race location green out, and Mountain. not just parish kids, but kids in the community at large. And that's a powerful way to do intergenerational discipleship. Much more important, even than some of the things that Kenny and I do in our own homes for our kids, is the Lizzies of the world and the Nancys of our churches. And the carol and Linky of our parishes. And so It's so important for you to answer the call to intergenerational discipleship, regardless of what your household looks like. So, Stevie of going off to college, I went to, to New York City. And you know, we never know how these things are going to go. And, but one of the things that we are proud of is that <laughs> she did find a church, she did <laughs> tell her go to church, gotta find a church i reading hopefully Jason as our own. We hope he goes to school very close to home so he can play the organ again. <laughs> but if he does go wherever the world takes him, we hope he too seeks college church, just like our parish churches as well. And he is more likely to do so because Kenny is sitting here today and his mother is sitting here today and because Cindy has taken a liking to him and, and training him. You all have treated and welcomed the open art. It is not rocket science. It is just so simple. And that is that we are all called to be We are all called to be Lydia. We are all called to be We are all called to be a, okay, a little bit more thinking in our life. But then, how to say that to people. <laughs> but it's true. That simply means. Simply means that our identity is in us. And it's the collective faith of following Jesus that makes us a family, regardless of our age, regardless of our biology. And if we do that, we are at our best. One of the things I'll say as we prepare to pray together, that is you all have. Has found out the church, woman, and that we did our part. I know she's going to stay at that church. She found another Carol found another then she Found another Lynn. Found another Nancy, and that is when she sat in the pew by a retired lady. The lady didn't say, "Oh, you're in my seat." That happens. The lady didn't. Broadway, who singing too loud. Have you heard on sing with Sing very loud. The lady introduced herself, and then took her out to lunch. Now they're best friends. The That's why she'll stay. We sent her. she'll stay because there's other people that you not. out of other churches as well. You hear the worst of the church the stories that. I just hope we pray uh, that all of our young people find homes wherever they may be, and that we continue to teach the next generation, and we continue to learn from them as well, as we become households that honor and follow Jesus Christ. Let us pray. The gracious God, we are thankful for all those in our lives. Somebody along the way that encouraged us in our faith. Lydia or a Zacchaeus, Blinky, Dan Liz, or Lynn, where the person was in our life. Encouraged us and made us feel at home. Lord, let us be open where you're calling us to be, and how you're calling us to be. Let us live out our faith in such a way that when others are in life, they want to know more about you, not want to run another way. Give it over to you in the name of Jesus. All God's people said. Amen. right a